Welcome to another edition of Bridging the Gap. Thank you so much for joining us. And today I'm really excited about having Kevin Mahoney on the podcast. Kevin is a recent recipient of Investment News' 40 Under 40. And as you know, we've been interviewing a lot of the recipients of 40 Under 40 because their stories are amazing. And Kevin's is no different of how he got into wealth management. It didn't start this way. Actually, it started in the NFL and not as a player, but as a salary cap professional and understanding and helping with the salary caps of all these teams. And then he navigated and came down to my hometown at Georgia Tech and ultimately got into real estate and then saw a need. A life event led to him seeing a need and a gap in wealth management. And he said he wanted to go fill it. His story is incredible. His journey is unique. And there's something that we can all learn from Kevin Mahoney's journey. Now let's turn it over to the podcast. You're going to love it. I enjoy the conversation. Hopefully you enjoy as well. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Kevin Mahoney, thank you for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. It's so great to have you. How's everything going? You're up in D.C. We're down in Atlanta. How is the world up in, in Washington, D.C. these days? Good. Much more enjoyable than it was this time last year. Um, but, you know, we're, we're peak summer, so the temperatures are up there uh, pretty high. But it's, it's good. No complaints from my end. Great. Well, I'm really excited about this conversation. I love what you're doing. And, and your background is actually, you know, when I was doing some research, it's just an amazing background of what led you in here. And I, you know, I'm inspired by it because I think it's a, it's a background that leads us based on life events that happen that get us into this space. And I think that that's when, you know, people need advisors. And so I, I want to dig into that. But before I get there, I want to say congratulations to you uh, for being a recipient of a f- investment news is 40 under 40. It's such a huge honor. I think that you know, you know, it just shows and it's credit to what you've done so far in the industry. So congratulations on that. And you know, just tell us and our listeners how what led to you getting that, and how did you get <laughs> to where you are today? Tell us your background. Let's dig into that. Yeah, I think it's most important to to say you know right off the top that a recognition like that is really just made possible by all of the other advisors in our network who have you know gone through a lot of these same decisions and same struggles before me and before us and you know who are very open with their time and and willing to help and you know it's just me building upon what they've already done and you know maybe crafting it in some small way to fit you know my interest or my background but it's really just a credit to the other people who are you know trying to to do our work differently than it's been done in the past yeah i mean that's so well said i mean it's the and I also say it's also about the people that are around us, right? So our mentors are the, the coaches, the other people in the industry that lay the foundation. But it's also the teams that we have and the clients that we have, right? Because you know they inspire us to do things and think differently and to be better people. And when you take that in as, a, as kind of something that is like a rite of passage that you need to go do, then you're going to become better as well. So very well said. And I couldn't agree more. And so tell us about that background, some of those people and those experiences that you run into were you always in this space? You know, where did you was this what you dreamt of wanting to be when you were a kid of being a wealth manager or a financial advisor helping families find their you know their financial journey? Is that what you wanted? I feel like there's an easy joke in here about me being like 6 and telling my parents that I wanted to be a wealth manager, but I I won't <laughs> I won't try to make that joke. Uh, the short answer is no. I I had wanted, you know, certainly from the time when I was a boy and up through high school even to work in professional sports. And so my first pursuit of a you know serious job and, and of a car- career was in professional football. And I actually made it work. I spent four years working in the NFL. I worked for a handful of different teams and some affiliates of the league. 
and primarily focused on salary cap management. That wasn't the only thing I, I did, but it's relevant in the sense that that was the finance part of my background that you know was at least some foundation for the work that I do today. It was a great experience. It was literally my entire life. And so I, I did reach a point at which I had to make a tough decision about whether I was essentially going to commit you know most of my adult life to doing that or if I was going to switch tracks and try to pursue a little bit more balance in my life. And I ultimately did the latter. Took a little break since you know my mind needed to to, to reset from that from that pursuit, and eventually went to Georgia Tech. Went back to to school, got an MBA in finance while I was down in Atlanta, and first worked in real estate investment management. Coming out of there, I had worked for the Atlanta Fed while I was at Georgia Tech. Um, particularly focused on housing issues in communities in the South. And, and this was right around the recession. And it was just a very interesting time in real estate, you know, commanding a lot of headlines, a lot of discussion in the news. And so it was a good way to you know, leverage my finance interest and skills and kind of apply it to you know, something that was, was very relevant and, and newsworthy at the time. So I spent about... Um, Six years doing uh, real estate investment work until I decided to make a transition to essentially where I am today, which I'm I'm happy to talk about a little bit more. Yeah, I mean that's I, I want to talk about. I know that you're you're probably the um, the desired person to talk to at all the cocktail parties that we <laughs> hopefully will have more of in the future. Is I want to talk about the NFLs for a second, right? I mean the work that you were doing. So salary cap management. Let's just talk about that. What did what does that entail, right? I, I read ESPN a lot and I know that, you know, Julio Jones was traded so that we could get some salary cap space. I still don't know how it all really works. I know that this isn't a sports podcast, but I'm sure a lot of people watch <laughs> sports or enjoy sports. And I think it's just an interesting part of the journey. How does that all even work? I mean, what did you learn in that space? Is it really, yeah, what did you learn in that, in that journey? And can you give us some behind the scenes stuff so we can be better fantasy football players in the future? <laughs> So you certainly don't need to apologize for asking the question. It's it's funny from my perspective because it feels like so long ago now for me. <laughs> and you know, as I get older and older, it's a, a smaller and smaller piece of my life and career. But if I bring it up, you know, it's almost certainly the the first thing that people want to talk about. You know, it was not necessarily my intent to go into salary cap management specifically, but I don't have a football background. You know, if if you can tell from the, the video here, like I am not six foot four. I'm not that big. You know, I did not play collegiately or anything like that. So I didn't have the the angle necessarily to to work in other aspects of of the football business that is is more common for, you know, the people who did play professionally or, or in college or, or things like that. And so it felt like salary cap was was going to be my in. I actually started in in public relations, but while I was there, you know, I was kind of networking my way into that other side of the business. Um, and so during my time there, you know, a lot of it was right around that period. It was the off season where you know probably the most important work took place, where you're trying to sign draft picks to contracts, you know, contracts that will fit within, you know, what the salary cap may be for that current year, but also in future years. And, you know, it's it's not too dissimilar ultimately from, you know, managing a household budget in some ways, where if you have X 
number of dollars to spend before you're over some type of limit, whatever that limit may be, you know, how are you evaluating your, you know, your purchases, so to speak? I mean, how much money do you want to put toward this, you know, in this case, a particular player compared to something else? And so it's it's trying to work with the scouts and the, you know, the people who are making the personnel decisions to get all those player pieces into to place to try to you know put together the best team possible while staying within that that budget and having an eye toward what you know those numbers are going to look like in the years ahead i i love the analogy you bring back to a i mean a household budget right it's like do you want to go on this trip or do you want to save for your kids college or do you want if you want to do both how do you maybe go get you know, a round two draft pick in terms of your vacation spot, as opposed to a round one draft pick. And then you can maybe do a little bit of both. And so you're using a lot of the same skills, which then is a perfect segue into where you are today, right? So doing wealth management, helping families, how, what led you, you know, from, I mean, geez, the journey from being salary cap, which yes, has a lot in it, but that's not the traditional path to wealth management, to then MBA, to then working with the Fed and doing real estate, to then, you know, what what got you into starting your own and successful wealth management business? So when I was, you know, doing that real estate investment management work, the the investors that we were, you know, essentially managing that real estate for, many of them were Germans. They were described to me as, you know, dentists um, and doctors in, in Germany, people who you know, not super wealthy, but definitely had the, you know, extra income to to invest in in foreign real estate. And so it was very impersonal from my perspective. Like I was I was working hard. I was doing this analysis, you know, for these people that I I didn't talk to and and very rarely, you know, ever met. And and I had started to develop an interest of of trying to, you know, work with more of my peers or at least use my skills and experience in a way, you know, that was more personal, you know, that I could engage with more directly on a on a human level, on a day-to-day basis. And then that kind of coincided with some changes um, in my personal life with our family where we um, were preparing to have our first child. And despite, you know, this background that I had in finance, it was very interesting to me how much time my wife and I were spending researching these new personal finance questions that we didn't have to worry about when we were 25 and single and you know just having to pay the rent and you know otherwise go out to the bars. And so I, I would often think of my friends who didn't have this background and wonder you know how how much more challenging is this for them? You know how much more confusing is, is some of this terminology? You know some of these trade offs if they don't have that background. And you know at some point those two different perspectives, those two different like lines of thought from the professional side and the personal side kind of came together. And I, you know, I thought I could create something, you know, that would become my work that might help to address, you know, what I, what I think this shortcoming is in, you know, the personal finance space. And so that idea kind of, you know, unfolded over a period of, of months. And then I eventually decided to, to give it a shot. I love that journey. And I, I think that what you're trying to solve is so needed in the space, right? Because everybody knows our industry. We're all trying to move upstream. We're all serving the ultra high net worth. But the people that actually really need the help are the people that are just getting off that want to become that level, right? But you know, so much of the industry has been built where we we disregard or, or kind of just push them to the side and say, just go find you know something else. But it, there is some intricate planning needs that they have. So how do you solve that? What are, how are you, how do you build your firm with that mentality that you went into it with and what is the output that you're delivering to help make sure that that problem gets solved for all your clients it's important to to note that to solve that problem you know specifically for 
a group of people who you know may not have much in the way of investable assets you know whose incomes can vary some of them are, are pretty high but you know not necessarily all of them and people who have a lot of student loan debt that to to get to a point where you know I'm comfortable with a business model that can support my family and be sustainable over time that takes some help out of the gate and you know we talked about you know other advisors who have kind of paved the way I also need to give a ton of credit to my wife for one being willing to kind of you know go on that journey with me but also just supporting our family while you know I was trying to get it up and running and and make it work and figure out you know which buttons to to push that would bring in you know enough revenue but also still allow me to help you know those people who are arguably underserved in our business. Mm-hmm. So that was a, a work in progress in a large way for a long period of time and it it remains so and I, I expect um, you know that will continue to be the case for a while but it's it's important to note that it it starts with some help at home for <laughs> for most of us. Yeah, I think it's for all of us, right? In in whatever journey we do, I think that that's the the way to go about it. And I, you know, in the process, you know, it, you know, I want to take that scenario, right? Of if you were to to guide someone, right, give back, right, pay it forward to someone that is is you, you know, three four years ago when you were starting the journey. How, what what do you? So it takes some help at home, but when they're starting to build their their practice and their book and the focus on that. I mean, how do you help? How, how how would you help guide them? Right? What are some of those those lessons that you learned early on starting your business that if you could go back again, you would do it differently? That now that you've been in it, you know it a lot more. And I think that this is a question that we all ask mentors or successful you know uh, entrepreneurs over time is like, what would you wish you knew when you were twenty? Right? So what would it? What would you wish you knew when you were just getting out the gate of of solving this ambitious you know mission that you have? I want to say one thing that I think I did well and that has helped. And then, you know, I also try to touch on something that I, w- I would try to do differently. The, the thing I'm, I'm proud that I tried to do right out of the gate was to operate as differently as I could from, you know, what I viewed as traditional financial advisors. It was very important to me. It was, it was very fundamental to my concept of how I thought I would be successful to make sure that any potential client who encountered me, whether that was meeting me in person and talking to me, seeing something that I put online, looking at my website, that very quickly, you know, let's call it within like five or 10 seconds, could tell that something was different about this company and about the way these services, you know, were structured and were built to help this specific group of people. And I think you know, I don't want to, I don't know too well what the biggest barriers are to more advisors doing it. You know, I know it's hard if you grow up in the the business, like if you have family members who do it, or if you start at a very young age, you know, working for a larger firm and, you know, certain ideas are kind of ingrained in you. I, I can imagine it's hard to break away from that. But I also think if you're trying to target, you know, a, a younger generation in particular, it's very important to recognize that they may have preconceived notions of what a financial advisor is and what about that doesn't appeal to them. And, you know, conversely, if you can structure it more like, you know, the the companies that they're accustomed to buying from or that they engage with online, if you can show that you have something in common 
with them and how they think and how they operate, I think you're much more likely to get buy-in as soon as possible in a in a space that's you know going to be confusing to people regardless because you know just because of you know some of the ongoing issues that our our industry has. But I, I'm glad I did that, and I still try to think of ways that I can continue to do that so that people say, "Aha." this is for millennials, you know, it's not for somebody who's 65 and, you know, retired. And here I can see why. What are some of those preconceived notions that you were trying to stay away from, right? Because I think that you're spot on, right? Everybody has, you know, these, these ideas when they think of a financial advisor. So like, where were some of those that you had highlighted of like, I need to be different than X on that side of it? Wealth wealth level would be one. My company has never had any minimums. I don't want people to think that this service is only for them if they have, you know, X number of dollars invested or they make X number of dollars a year. Um, you know, that it's only for older people. And, you know, a lot of these things go hand in hand. Like, you know, if you're you're older and you're retired or you're about to retire, you know, presumably you'll have more money in some form or more wealth than than someone who's 25 or 30 and, and paying off student loans. You know, I try to to make clear that I, I welcome as many different types as people of people as possible. So, you know, different ethnicities, different races, you know, the LGBTQ community, like there there should not be a reason why you wouldn't think that you know this company can can help you out and and certainly there may be cases whether it's you know financial circumstances specifically or if someone just prefers to work with someone of a of a certain gender you know you name it in that case you know there may be other advisors who are better suited to help you than than I am but I don't want people to you know at least right at the outset think oh I'm not welcome here or, or no this is not for me um, so I would say those would be the big ones. You know, maybe being tech friendly would be another thing. I want I want to be accessible to people. I, I want to try to meet them where they're at. You know, with with how they're communicating, with what their schedules are like. You know, for a long time, at least up until the pandemic, all my meetings were held at night because mm-hmm. the idea was, you know, if people were busy at work, they didn't have to take time away from from work to to come and meet me. So we would meet online in the evenings. They'd put their, you know, they have dinner with their kids, put their kids to bed, and then hopefully they're in, you know, a mental space um, where they can focus on this stuff and they're not trying to to juggle work stuff or ju- juggle family commitments while also paying attention to their finances. So those are probably the big ones, but I think, you know, there are so many different ways that we can we can be different than what has been done for a long time. And what's the, you know, I think that when I think about the industry, right, and I think about what you're doing and what you're tackling, you're going against the grain, which I think is what we need to do more of in this space. And and I think that the challenge that people have with doing that is they see the success that the industry has had. And a lot of the people in the industry have had a lot of success. And they're like, well, why, you know, we're a risk averse industry, first off, right? You know, when you think about the tools that we use, if you're an investment manager, you, you're 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 risk averse, right? Because you, you're not going to get applauded for just making money. You get fired for losing money, so that keeps you from being risk averse. Um, and, and and we're an industry that says, if it ain't broke, why fix it, right? Don't rock the boat. Just continue to do it the way that it is. And so to go against the grain is really difficult in that in that way. And so you know, how has the reception been, right? You know, to those that are like that, because I, I asked this for the listeners that are out there that are saying, you know, 
I want to go against the grain, but I just don't have that many people to inspire me to go against the grain. And I don't know if people are going to receive it really well. So you, know, what's been the reception to doing this from your clients, right? Like, I mean, you're seeing continued growth, I'm sure. And, but you know, are they appreciative? Are they reaching their financial goals? You found your own market. Like what is the reception that you've seen? So you, we can inspire others to do and go against the grain, just like you are, which I think is the right thing and inspiring thing to do. The reception is, is great. And I, you know, I, I don't think that's actually the biggest challenge from my perspective. It's coming to terms with being different enough from what those traditional models are that you're going to encounter a lot of, you know, blog posts, tweets, so, you know, other types of social media posts where, where people are doing things perhaps, you know, more closer to the, the way they've usually been done and they're being successful and they're making a lot of money. Like a personal example for me is I don't charge AUM. I don't manage assets. I believe that the clients I work with mostly need investment education and they need to understand that they can invest successfully in a very simple, straightforward way. And so I don't try to make you know portfolio management very confusing for them. I don't insist that I have to do it all for them. I want to show them how they can do it. I want them to understand the terms and I want them to be able to you know navigate their own accounts so that they don't need me if they get a bonus that's unexpected they don't need me to invest you know that money in in some good index funds for them they can they can feel confident doing that on their own but you know not charging AUM is not very common in our business and mm-hmm. i probably could make more money sooner if i you know had just done that out of the gate and continued to do that right now now i still feel confident that over the long term i'm going to make you know the money that I feel I I need to make or want to make for for my family and for what I'm doing, you know why I'm doing this. But um, would it be faster or easier to, you know, to charge based on AUM? Maybe. But that's that's the type of thing that I I'll see very frequently, you know, in other interactions with advisors or you know just kind of when I'm watching what's going on, and I have to remind myself that there's a reason why I'm doing this differently. And that's okay. And you know, I accept the trade-offs and the risks that come with that. And hopefully it helps a new set of people and and hopefully I still get to the place that I, I want to go. So the, I mean the the clients love it. I think in many cases they don't they actually don't know what the alternatives look like. You know, I'll encounter some who have previously worked with an advisor who or whose parents worked with an advisor and they can they can more directly appreciate the differences between what I'm doing and perhaps what they've encountered before. But I think uh, mostly it's just people being satisfied with you know how I'm approaching you know their financial management and the types of questions that I'm asking them. Um, you know, I've had a number of comments on my website and say like, "Oh, this like totally resonated with me, like the way you designed it and the messages you have." So I I know that it's well received, but they may not totally understand how much it differs from other models. Yeah. No, I think that, you know, it, it's such a, the approach of helping the financial education, because it's, it's kind of like the idea of uh, a teach a man how to, you know, give a man a fish, he can eat for a day, teach a man how to fish and he can fish, he can eat for a lifetime. And that's, that's basically the mentality you're taking. And, and so, you know, you know, for some of those people that may be listening and maybe thinking about getting into the space or just want to want to know about the space, you know, when, when is the right time in your mind for someone to come and get financial advice or to, to, the, to come see you, right? What is the, what are you seeing as the the moment that spurs that, that tends to be the, the, the moment that they need someone to help them? 
The most common scenario is similar to the one I described with my own family where, you know, and the context for this is that I live in Washington, D.C. So people here tend to, you know, have relatively high incomes compared to the rest of the country. So so let's assume that, you know, from the time they graduate college, you know, they're highly skilled, they're they're probably getting a, a decent job and they're, you know, supporting themselves and, you know, living a comfortable lifestyle you know, while managing student loans, I don't want to not mention that aspect of it, you know, but doing that up until the point where they're, you know, let's say 27, 28, and then they're, they're getting engaged, they're getting married. And maybe at some point, you know, in their early thirties, they're preparing to have kids. That's when those, you know, personal finance considerations, you know, hop to another level. And so for a lot of people, you know, I do believe that people can benefit from, financial advice at at any age you know it's mostly a question of how how deeply do you need to engage with an advisor you know at the age of 22 like i don't i don't think most 22 or 23 year olds need ongoing you know financial planning for a year or multiple years you know given where they are in life but that's not to say that they wouldn't really benefit from you know, some investing 101 help or just making sure that they're on the correct student loan repayment plan for their situation. But more commonly, it's it's when those new questions arise as life becomes a little bit more complicated and you're just dealing with stuff that you've never dealt with before. That it's like, you know, let's make sure we're evaluating these trade-offs well and kind of understand the implications of going down this path instead of that path. And I think that's where I add the most value for for those folks. It's the life events, right? It's yeah. you, like those major life events that you're talking about, I think is is such an important part of it. And, you know, when you get into the definition, like, because you're, you're educating people, right? And so in your mind, you know, from your perspective, not necessarily what you tell other people, but from your, and I guess what, whatever you believe is what you share and how you educate the the rest of your clients. But, you know, what is your definition of wealth in your mind, right? Of, what does wealth mean to you and what is the definition of wealth? Because it's it's kind of, I think it, it can be different for a lot of people. For me personally, the definition would almost certainly involve the word time. I really value um, being at a point, you know, certainly more so than I, I ever have been in the past, but, you know, hopefully continuing to to get to a place where I have full control over my time based on, you know the the way that that I and and we my family have have made financial decisions and you know tried to to set ourselves up for financial stability and you know I don't want to speak for for all of my clients in in that same way but I think for for many of them it's you know it's having less uncertainty about the financial decisions that they do face and once you know, that uncertainty is removed to a large extent, you know, feeling empowered to make decisions that get them closer to the life that they want. I don't think the wealth is is necessarily about the size of their their bank account or how much they have invested. I think it's getting to that point where they can clearly see what their options are and then aligning things and making choices so that whatever is most important to them, they are going down that path. Even if it means you know a lower investment balance than this other path might be, but I just I don't think most of them again you know because of so many of of the same issues high student loan you know debt high housing prices you know having to juggle catching up on retirement savings or you know starting a college fund like in the face of so many 
uncertainties, you know, in those areas, it's not until they they can understand, you know, those those trade-offs that I think they can feel more freedom to, you know, to pursue the things that they they really want in their lives. Yeah, and I I agree with that. I think that that's I mean such a great way of looking at it, and and it also just goes to show that wealth is different for everybody, and understanding that, and then being able to build whatever the plan is, right? If you want time, how do you build your 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 life to allow you to have time and the support that you need to be able to do what you want, right? And and some people may want to go and just build a huge business and sell it, but then how do we go about doing that using our resources and everything that we have? And so it's totally different for everybody, but. You know, I want to wrap up with you know two two main two other questions, and is is one you know someone that comes in the door or someone that's thinking about going to get financial advice, or for the financial advisor that's meeting with younger people the first time, you know what's that question that the advisor should be prepared for, and what's that question? Let's take on the other side that the client or the prospect that every client or prospect should always ask when they're going to meet and get financial advice or investment management from anybody or anyone in that standpoint in your mind? So I think, you know, th- I think this kind of ties into to what we were just talking about with wealth a little bit, where it's important to keep in mind, you know, especially for people who are considering getting into this space that most people, I mean, regardless of age and circumstances, but I think certainly young people have never had anyone ask them questions about you know, what do you want your life to look like, you know, maybe specifically as it pertains to your finances, but but even more broadly, just these open-ended questions about, you know, what's important to you? Where do you want your life to be in 10 years? You know, and they know that the context for this is, you know, making financial decisions and, and putting together a plan that can help them get there. But it's, you can just see the reaction on people's faces when, you know, you have someone in my position asking that question and then just sitting there listening and allow the, you know, the wheels to kind of spin in their head and think through that and voice it, you know, out loud, which is a, which makes people very vulnerable, but it's, it's really an empowering start to, you know, their adult lives and their, you know, financial management to be able to, to think through that and say it out loud. So I think a lot of the most important questions, you know, both on the advisor side and the client side relate more to, you know, those emotional and behavioral sides of of finance, just because they're less likely to get that anywhere else. Um, and so, you know, I think the I think for advisors to whom that approach appeals, you know, it's important to keep in mind that if if the clients come in asking, you know, qu- specific questions about Roth IRAs, that's perfectly valid. I mean, it's something, you know, you want to make sure you address at some point, but but how much more valuable can the service be and how much more can you achieve if you actually say, you know, I I we will make sure that we address your Roth IRA questions, but let me ask you something else first and then you know, the the path will just like unfold before you when you give them that space to to talk about those those bigger picture things. That's so. I mean, that is the exact way because everybody comes in like I just need to be able to retire, and it's like, okay, well, what does retirement mean to you, and what do you want to do in retirement? Because you want to retire, and you want to retire, and you want to retire. Three people in a row, and it's all different for each of you. You have different inputs, you have different needed outputs, and you know, one person wants just to be able to retire and sit at home and read books. Another person wants to travel the world and another person wants to go and be with their grandkids all the time, right? So it's it's yeah. different and you have to get to that point to set the plan. And I think that what the change is with that type of question is 
It also changes it for the client as well, for them to reshape what wealth management is, right? It's not a matter of just growing your nominal dollar value of your wealth. That is sometimes needed, but it's a matter of helping you get to where you want to be. And I think about through those ING commercials, right? With the numbers over your head and everything of that nature. Like everybody's like, what's your number? And everybody's like, I need $3 million. It's like, do you really need $3 million to do what you want? Let me show you how you can actually do what you want with, you know, 750,000. Like, where did you come? And it's just people see the world in this one, you know, monolithic lane or this one lane. And it's just not, it's not conducive to helping to build true happiness and, and, and quote unquote definition of wealth in your future, I think. And when you talk about the, the reception, you know, of doing something like that, or, you know, comparing what you're doing to peers in the industry, that's where it's very important to, again, remind yourself that you're, you're trying to do something different because you know when you're reading blogs or you're you're on Twitter like you're going to see mostly conversations about the tactical stuff. You know, fortunately that has changed a, a little bit and I think as more advisors take, you know, a more personal approach to some of this stuff, it's a little bit less common, but you have to remind yourself that when a client does start to go down that path to just don't, you know, blindly follow them and and immediately want to try to satisfy them by, you know, giving very specific tactical answers that, you know, that may be helpful in some way, but you could offer much more value by reminding yourself to, to take, take a step back and ask some other important questions first before you dive into, you know, how those numbers and those decisions are going to align with what they actually want. Overall. I love that. So I'm going to ask you one last question to wrap it up. And this is a random question that I just like to ask. And I apologize. I'm very, I'm sometimes pretty random. Your journey here has been a, a, a unique journey. And I think it's an amazing journey that everybody can learn from that saying that you can get in the space and make a change no matter what your background is, no matter what your, you, you know, your first couple jobs are, you can make change in this space. But now looking back at your life, going back to 17 years old, if you had to change one decision that you made since you were 17 years old, what would it be? I would have pursued my initial work in the NFL with a little bit more balance. You know, candidly, I, I burned out. And, a, you know, part of that was the culture of, of that business. But I was so driven to, to reach a certain point and reach a certain level of employment that I was willing to sacrifice everything else to do that. And you know, because of that, I don't think I, I gave myself a, a fair shot for, you know, success in that work over the long term. Now, the upside of that is I think it taught me a really valuable lesson. And since then, you know, I have I've pretty doggedly pursued, you know, much more balance and have really fought off any, you know, situations in which, you know, people want me to, you know, to grind, so to speak, more than I think is is reasonable. But I think it shaped some of my early career experiences by getting too caught up in, you know, certain titles or or certain work responsibilities, you know, having a personal life to go along with it. I love that. And I think that that's a lot of younger generation people, right? We don't necessarily know what we want. We're trying to live this dream that we perceive, you know, looking at others and and it drives us to sometimes learn these lessons, sometimes the hard way, but we sometimes have to learn the hard ways like that right. to be able to better ourselves in the future. I love that. Kevin Mahoney, it's been a real honor to have you on and and I love your story and, and what you're doing. You know, there's probably a lot of people out there that are inspired by what you're doing. How can they follow you? How can they learn more from you and get in contact with you? 
Yeah. So for, for advisors and, you know, potential advisors, I think the best space for engaging is, is on Twitter, Matt by Kevin Mahoney. So you can, you can find me there, but otherwise for general information, I have my company website, which is illumintfc.com. And then kind of my, my personal website, which is by kevinmahoney.com. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for taking your valuable time out to talk with us here today. It's been an awesome conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.